Have you ever had one of those days? Maybe it was this week. Has that day turned into one of those weeks? And then sometimes it turns into one of those months. And then for many of us, it turns into one of those seasons of life. And maybe even one of those years of life. Or maybe even one of those several years of your life. I don't know, even, even longer. For me, about six or seven years ago, I would have a bad day here or there. And I would even have a, a bad week here or there. But to be completely honest, life was fairly easy to the point that I actually started to feel guilty about it. And I would pray, God, I'm not asking you to, you know, smite me with anything, but I, I have trouble understanding why it's, it seems so cush for me. And then I look around and see hurt and difficulty and destruction and pain and sadness and sickness. And it, it's not been so rough for me, but then it came. The rough day came, and then it turned into a rough week, which surprised me with a rough month with a rough year and then several rough years. And I call it my wilderness experience. And I'll give you more on those years in just a bit. Today's a really good day for us to be here because, again, as I said, it's a reset because uh, some people are leaving for the summer and and, uh, we now are starting into a new series. And we're calling this series the Wilderness Series. And so we all kind of get this fresh start together and it's going to go for about eight weeks or so and then we'll jump into a new summer series but hopefully in this series I'll just get some chances to to bear my soul a little bit and share with you just some of my greatest struggles of anxiety and self-doubt and even depression and uh, you'll also get to hear from some others in our church family who will share some testimonies of of their wilderness experiences and then uh, you'll also get to dig into the scriptures with me as we uh, just see some wilderness experiences in the scriptures. And I really believe that it's going to be a huge help for all of us uh, just giving insight into our wilderness experiences that maybe you're in right now. Maybe you're in the midst of that. Or if you're not, uh, just rest assured you're going into one at some point. Uh, you're, you're all going to go through some, some difficult seasons of your life. And so I really believe that this is going to be some help for you. And so would you take a Bible and turn with me to Psalm 63 is where we're going to be this morning. Psalm 63. We've got Bibles throughout the room if you need one. And uh, if you don't have one home, bring that home and, and break it in or give it away to somebody you know who needs one. We'll also get it up on the big glowing Bible behind my head here. And so uh, look up there. Psalm 63 verse 1. We're just going to do just one verse this morning, just one verse as we introduce this new series, a verse to help us understand this biblical concept of, of wilderness. And we're going to start with the heading, and then we'll get into uh, the verse that's listed there as verse 1. And in the Psalms, the heading is Holy Scripture, God-breathed words, inspired words of God. In other books of scriptures, the, the headings were added much, much, much later just to kind of help us out as a, as a point of reference. Uh, but the Psalms were there in the headings, the Psalms were there right there in the original Hebrew text. And so these are God breathed words. The, the headings as well in the Psalms are scriptures. And so let's, let's read the heading here Psalm 63. The heading says this A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And then verse 1 says, David says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so 
Here's what wilderness is in the Bible. Wilderness is a geographical location. And then we also see that wilderness is a distinct season of life. And so let's think about the geographical location, if we can, for just a moment. It's a location marked by desolation, meaning there is little to no inhabitants. It's bleak, it's grim, it's inhospitable territory that you might find on a map. It's also marked by drought. So there's no water. It's dry. It's a difficult place for anybody to live. Uh, some wildernesses, some deserts, nomadic people could come and live and find little outcroppings of oasis. But generally speaking, it was inhospitable and uh, uninhabitable. And so geographically, these are deserted, dry deserts and, and rocky areas. Uh, in the, the Middle East. And so three primary locations in biblical texts as we open up our Bibles are the east, the south, and the southwest of the inhabited land of Israel. And so first of all, there's the, the Sinai Peninsula, north of Egypt and south of the inhabited land of, of Israel, where Israel wandered while they were waiting for God to bring them into the promised land. There's also the Arabian desert or the, the, the eastern desert where Moses hides out, where Paul the apostle would be for three years. There's also within the, the, the region, the, the nation of Israel, there's the Judean wilderness closer to their home. It included the, the uh, Judean mountain range all the way down to the, the Dead Sea. This is where King David flees when he's having his, his, his self and his army hunted down by King Saul. This is where John the Baptist would preach from. We just sent Ryan to preach up by the beach, Manchester by the sea. Well, John got sand and rocks, but no water. And so that's where John the Baptist would preach from. And finally, the Judean wilderness is also where Jesus would go through his wilderness temptations. And so here in Psalm chapter 63, we see that the wilderness is a physical place. Right there in the heading, it's a place where David was. He was in the wilderness of Judea. But reading on, verse 1 says that, that these wilderness locations are also distinct seasons of our lives and the lives of biblical characters and our lives as well. And so again, listen to David describing the season. He says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh faints for you. As in, so as if I were in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So what is this season like? For David, as he's running for his life in the wilderness, he's not only in the wilderness physically, but he's in the midst of the wilderness of the soul. And maybe you can feel that in your own life right now, or you've been there before, or rest assured, you will be there. Anybody? The, the wilderness of the soul. He says, God, you, you are my God. You, you are my God. It's not that he's lost faith. You, you are my God. I, I believe in you. I, I trust in you. But however, he, he says, I'm earnestly seeking you. Like, God, where are you? Are, are, where are you? You are God. I know you're there. But where? Where are you, God? And I wonder if you've ever been there. Where you're at a place in life where it's just very difficult to experience the, the presence of God. Maybe you're weighed down with anxiety or you're weighed down with depression or you're just in the midst of this funk. You're in the midst of this fog. You're in the midst of kind of a, a cloud. Maybe you just feel isolated in life. I'm in the city. There's people all, all around me, but I just feel isolated or you feel alone or you feel uncertain about your next step and about your, your future. Circumstances in life are really chaotic or you're just in turmoil. God, you are my God, but 
But where are you right now? I, I'm earnestly seeking you. He goes on, he says, my soul thirsts for you. My, my flesh, it faints for you. I'm, I'm emotionally, spiritually thirsty. I feel like I'm going to faint. I feel like I'm going to pass out. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. As if emotionally, spiritually, my soul is in the wilderness. David's in the thick of it. And maybe you can relate immediately. You know that feeling. You know that experience. But, but here's the beauty of this verse. And that is that it's a verse. One verse. In the midst of a greater story that God is writing. And we get to do something now with our Bibles that was more difficult for David to do then. And that is to pan out. Something very powerful in panning out. The, the power of panning out. You ever played one of those games where well, they'll take an image and they'll be really, really close and you have to guess what it is? And everybody has all these guesses and you think you make sense of some things and it's not until they pan out and show you, oh my gosh, it was a frog or it was a leaf or it was a flower. And that's how some of us are in our wilderness. We don't quite know what's going on. We don't know what we're looking at. We don't know what we're in the middle of. What could God possibly be doing? Could he possibly bring any good out of this? But there's the power that we get outside of this situation and that we get for friends and family and people who love God. We get to pan out for them and remind them God is good. God is faithful. God has a plan. God is in control. It's the power of panning out. And we get to do that now with David and God would use, as we pan out, we see that God would use this season of David's life, this, this wilderness, wandering kind of season of his life, being hunted down where he's saying, God, where are you? I'm seeking you. He would use it to shape him to be perhaps the greatest king of all time, other than the king of kings and the Lord of Lord Jesus, for whom the throne of David was designed and built in the first place. And I want you to hear this today. I want you to hear that, that wilderness doesn't mean brokenness. You're in the wilderness right now, many of you. Or you've been in it or, or you're going in it. You need to know that wilderness doesn't mean brokenness. For, for, for many of us, when we're in those wilderness seasons of life, maybe you're thinking, my life is so busted up. My, my heart is so broken. My future is so un uncertain. It's over. It's just it's just over it's beyond repair this is a mess maybe you just want to quit you want to throw your hands up you just want to be done with life done with faith done with all of it and you need to hear that God is not through with you just because you're in the wilderness doesn't mean it's broken beyond repair I've told you stories before about my brother's jeep just because we have all these great memories of it my brother had this jeep and uh, he got it for like five hundred dollars when he was turned 16 years old from a, a friend in our church and and he took this little jeep and he he just dumped every ounce of money that he had saved up into this five hundred dollar jeep now when you when you're paying for upgrades to your vehicle that cost more than you paid for your vehicle in the first place it's it's a problem right and so i think he put like three thousand dollars into a five hundred dollar jeep and so he sp spent all this money and then he killed it 
off-roading. He was off-roading and literally drowned his Jeep. And I mean, I was in the car. Becky was in the car. It was the first time I brought her home to my family. And he was trying to show off for my girlfriend, this yank from Massachusetts. And, and we're in the car going through, through water. And all of a sudden, we just hit this puddle. and You just hear the, the water go up the tailpipe. Completely killed it. He used the last little bit of money that he had to hire this guy who was a professional at towing redneck trucks out of the woods. So this guy was able to go deep into the woods, two miles out, and pull him out of the water and bring him back to his shop where it still sits today. No lie. We go back and we still see the truck sitting there today in what is essentially the junkyard in the back of the, the shop. And listen, in your wilderness season, it's, it's tempting to think that God just kind of discarded me. He's put me in the back here. He's just kind of hidden me. It's just I'm, I'm tucked away. I'm not important. I'm going to be here forever. He's done with me. I, I, I'm toast. Listen. That's not the truth. Do not believe the lie. Read the scriptures. Open your Bible. Pan out. God has not sent you out back to the junkyard. In fact, you're in the workshop. The the wilderness is the workshop. God is souping you up right now. He's adding components to your engine. He's putting a new vinyl roof on the top. He's jacking you up about three inches, putting big tires on you, new rims. He's making, redneck's not your thing? Okay, so if redneck's not your thing, he's lowering you. And he's, he's putting ground effects on you. And he's putting neon lights under you. And, and, and he's putting flow masters on you and subwoofers in the back. He is souping you up. You're not buying it? Let me, let me just show you through the, the scriptures. That's what I want to do. It's just throw you, show you through the scriptures. Just some biblical wilderness moments so you can see this, so that we can kind of pan out together. Think about Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him, so they sold him into slavery. Now, I thought about that a few times growing up as a kid, reading that Bible story. I would go to class, and they would try to teach me one thing, and I thought, that's a great idea, actually. And, and so they, they sold him into slavery, and he was drug across the southeastern wilderness that we were talking about, the Sinai Peninsula, into Egypt. When he gets down there, it seems like God's up to something, but then he gets falsely accused of sexually assaulting his master's wife. So he's thrown into prison for a couple of years, discarded. It seems like he's forgotten about, but God the whole time was preparing him for leadership. He gets called out of prison to use a gift of interpreting dreams. So he interprets dreams. He gains the respect of Pharaoh. And God uses him to store up food for many years so that in the end, he could rescue his brothers and his family from famine, the same brothers who sold him into slavery. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says to them, he says, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. You're trying to harm me. You're trying to do evil. But God had a greater plan to save our family, to save our lineage. I don't hold it against you. Man, he went through quite a bit, didn't he? Quite a bit. Think about Moses. He's a descendant of Joseph down in Egypt. He grows up in this major world power family, Pharaoh's family. His future looks good. I mean, politics, world domination, you know, no big deal. And, and so he raises up in this family. And then he messes up. And he kills an Egyptian. He kills this Egyptian because he's watching him treat one of his own people harshly as a slave master. And so he, he rises up and he kills the guy. And sometimes your wilderness starts by a bad decision. Not every time, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it starts because of sin on your part. 
Sometimes it starts because you made a bad decision, but guess what? God still can redeem that and make good out of that. And Moses flees into the plains of, of Midian, the eastern desert that we talked about, into the wilderness. In Romans chapter 8, 38, you know the passage so well. God works all things together for good for those who love him. Even your sin, he can work for good. Though your wilderness started because of sin, perhaps some of us, not all of us, God can take that and work it for good. And he doesn't want to leave you there forever. And so Moses is hiding out in these eastern plains in the wilderness and he meets a girl, pastor's daughter. You've got to look out for those girls. He marries her. And he spends 40 years working for this girl's father as a shepherd. It's not until he's 80 years old that God reveals his plans to him through a burning bush. That's why all the things of the videos and the shows we see with Moses and him, he's got long gray hair. Because he's an old man when God seems to be just getting started with him. And some of you may be thinking, I understand if my wilderness season happened when I was a little bit younger and God was shaping me for a life of service to him, but I'm, I'm getting up there in age and God certainly must be through with me. I certainly must be in the junkyard. You can look at the life of Moses and say, no, that's not, that's not true. Forty years in the wilderness and then the burning bush. And then the burning bush from palace to pasture and then back to the place again so that he could rescue God's people. How about David, the one who writes Psalm 63 here? We just just opened up with that. At age 17, the prophet Samuel comes to David and he anoints him as king. It's this beautiful moment where he passes over all of his brothers. He says, no, no, is there, are there any more brothers? And he takes the last little one, the, the most underappreciated, undervalued one, and he anoints him. He says, you are God's king. Shortly thereafter, the great story of David defeating Goliath. He defeats Goliath. He's looking like a king now. I mean, it's one of those worst-to-first stories. We love those kinds of stories. That's what happens. However, right after that, he then goes and spends 13 years running for his life from the mentally deranged king at the time, Saul, hiding in the wilderness, in caves, for 13 years, writing songs like Psalm 63 and others, singing, Where are you, God? You're God, but I'm... I'm in a cave here, I'm in a cave here, I'm running for my life, they're hunting me down. But we now know as we pan out exactly where God was. God had a chisel in his hand, didn't he? He was, he was making something beautiful out of David. He anointed him king, he ran for 13 years before becoming king. Some of you have, got, God's called you to something. God's put some burden, some vision, something on your heart. You know he's called you to it, but it just feels like that was so long ago. And it's a year later and nothing's happened, nothing's... Nothing, 13 years, are you willing to be faithful and wait for God to cause that vision to come to fruition? 13 years? David pressed on and stayed faithful. We're Americans. We want things yesterday. And David waited. And God proved faithful as we pan out. But in the midst of it, he still cried out. He seems a little bipolar as you read his psalms. God, you're right here beside me. God, where are you? You are so close. Your presence is amazing. I love it. Where in the heck are you, God? It's just up and down. And we feel like that sometimes. And that's okay. That's okay. Here's another one. The, the prophet Elijah. This guy was amazing. 
I love the prophet Elijah. He, he had the most unbelievable face-off with King Ahab, the prophets of Baal, and King Ahab's wife Jezebel. And, and, and he, in just great faith, calls fire and rain down from heven. Just, God, don't, don't bail. Don't, you got to do this. And he calls down fire from heaven. First Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Listen to what it says. It says, But he himself then went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asks that he might die. Wait, what? He just did this amazing miracle, this great ministry victory in his life, and now he wants to quit? It was shortly thereafter. I just want to die. And oftentimes, your depression makes zero sense at all. But in the wilderness, sometimes we hear lies coming at us from the enemy, from the devil. Even Jesus himself had lies just being poured into his mind. You're no good. You can't do this. Just give up. Just jump off. Kill yourself. Be done with this. And Elijah has these lies coming into his head even after this great ministry victory. As a pastor, this makes no sense, but it makes complete sense to me at the same time. Great moments of ministry and seems like they're followed after just very, very difficult, dark seasons of life. God then sends an angel to Elijah. He says, I want you to go up to Mount Horeb. And so he goes up to Mount Horeb. I'm going to meet with you there. I'm going to tell you some things. It's going to be very, very important. This is going to be exciting. Go up to Mount Horeb. And he goes. And what happens? We read that depression hits him again. Just keeps coming at him. I think it's now the, the, the third time. He's hiding out in a cave this time. Is God through with him? Well, one, two, but three strikes, you're out. No, he's not through with him. He, he calls him out of the cave, and then he invents the great funk band of the 1970s, Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's amazing what he does. He, Earth, Wind, and Fire happened for Elijah. It's, a, it's an incredible moment, even though he keeps sinking in depression, keeps struggling, keeps quitting, keeps bailing, keeps making dumb decisions and, and making no sense whatsoever. God says, I'm not through with you. I'm not through with you. And then we get into the, the New Testament, and there's, there's John the, the Baptist. The first few years of his ministry, he's preaching to nobody but rocks in the wilderness of Judea. We all know about his powerful season of ministry, well-known season of ministry, where he's just he's preaching and people are coming and, and, and saying, baptize me, and amazing things are happening. You know that was only six months We act like that was his whole life. That's all we remember. It was six months. The bulk of his life and ministry was spent in the wilderness. But all we ever recognize is the six months. So much of his life was in the wilderness. Do you ever do that? Do you ever look at people around you and you see their victories and you see their successes and you just think, they're just killing it. They never struggle. They never have difficulties. No, we all go through the tough stuff, through the seasons, those, those, those moments, those seasons, those years, those decades perhaps even of preparation for the six months. And so six months, people are coming to him. He's not going out to, they're coming to him in the, the wilderness. The only time he gets out of the stinking wilderness is when he goes into the big city to get his head chopped off. I mean, that's, that's a wilderness experience. And then there's the Apostle Paul. He's the infamous 
persecutor of Christians. He's heading on this road to Damascus to kill Christians. But you know the story. As he's on the road to go kill up some Christians, he, he, he's going and all of a sudden Jesus meets him. The resurrected Jesus shines him this bright light and just completely blinds him. And he's blind for three days and he continues on into uh, the city. And this guy named Ananias meets him, lays hands on him. Uh, Ananias was appointed by God to go find Saul. He finds him. He prays over him. This scaly substance falls off of his eyes and he can now see again. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's converted. He gives his life to Jesus. He gains his strength back. He's baptized. And then he goes and he just powerhouse. And listen to Acts chapter 9 verse 20. It says, and immediately after that happened, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. He just starts talking, preaching. He's God. Verse 22, and he increased all the more in strength and confounded the, uh, and, and testified of Jesus and confounded the people who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the, the Christ. So immediately, he sees immediately his ministry is on fire. And then what, what's crazy, the tables turn and, and the Jews now try to kill him because now he's the one talking about Jesus. So they, they try to kill him. And also in a crazy turning of tables, the Christians who he was en route to kill then save his life and they put him in a basket and lower him out a hole in the wall so that he can leave. And they save his life. Now, if you were to read into the next verses, into verse 26, it says he goes on to Jerusalem. You think he would just go on to Jerusalem and he, he sees the apostles and, and then his ministry goes on as we know it. But Paul, in his letters, he fills in the holes for us. And, and in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, check this out. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and the apostles, as you read in verse 26 back in Acts chapter 9. So before Paul goes to see the apostles, the disciples, God sends him into Arabia, that eastern wilderness where Moses would have gone as well. He goes to Arabia. We don't know exactly what he did there. We don't know exactly who he stayed with there. But we do know that to human understanding, it, it makes no sense. Why would he do that? Why would God, God call him to do that? He was absolutely on fire. It would be right now taking Steph Curry and sitting him on the bench for the next three years because we want to just get you prepared. Why would you do that? But God needed to do some work in Paul's heart during these three years. And he revealed some things to Paul during these three years. He wrote these amazing letters and, and, and the, the theology and the understanding of the gospel that, that the Apostle Paul had came from God revealing it to him in this wilderness season in Arabia. He says, I didn't get this from anybody else. God himself revealed these truths to me. God is with us in the wilderness. The wilderness is God's workshop. He is shaping us. He is molding us. He is preparing us. We're in obscurity. We feel isolated. We feel alone. But God is working. Do you see the power of panning out? Because we know the rest of Paul's ministry. We know the rest of David's life. We know the rest of Joseph's story. We know the rest of Moses' story. We know the rest of Jesus' story. God knows the rest of your story. And if you have a story where you're now on the other side, you've got to share that story. You have to share your testimony. You have to share your story. There are people in your church family 
who need to hear it. Don't think, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to brag, I don't want to too much. People need to hear your story so that they can be spurred on to live the life that God's called them to, so they don't quit in the midst of the wilderness. We've got to share your story. We've got to pan out and share how God is faithful because when other people are unable to pan out, you can pan out for them in the scriptures and in your own life. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. First, his spirit. Second, his word. And then his people. So we have the stories of the scriptures. We have the, the confirmation of the spirit. Keep telling you, keep going, don't quit. And we've got our, the people of God saying, keep going, press on. I'm with you. I care for you. I love you. Let me tell you how God's been faithful in my life, even when you can't see it because things are just too blurry because your eyes are full uh, of tears. I'm at a place where I, by the grace of God, get to pan out right now. But I told you I had one of those days that turned into one of those weeks, one of those months, one of those years, and then a few years. And it came right as we moved into Boston. Um, Up to this point, it felt like God was just blessing everything that we prayed over and gave to him. And every ministry we were involved in in high school, I've told you before, we just saw absolute revival just tons of people coming to know Jesus. There were a little prayer movement that we started, and it was absolutely incredible. Then I went off to college and traveled and preached on the weekends and, and saw lots of cool things that God was up to. It was, it was really pretty cool. And then in the summers from college, I would go back home and, and started this ministry to at-risk kids in the hood and, and saw God do some really cool stuff. And the ministry each year just grew and grew and grew to 30 to 60 to 80 kids. And it was just, just amazing. And, and then out of college, we went and, and helped start this church. And at the time, it was the, one of the fastest growing churches in New England. And God was just breathing on it. It was absolutely incredible. And, and then on top of that, on the weekends, I would travel and, and preach. And it was seeing on the weekends 20, 30 plus kids coming to faith in Christ. And it was just fueling me. It was amazing what God was doing. And then we built our dream house. God had provided the chance to, to build our dream house. And it was absolutely amazing. On the backside of a ski mountain so we could ski in the evenings. And, and it was just a sweet spot. We thought we'd be there for the rest of our lives. And shortly thereafter, after building the dream house, God said, okay, it's time to sell it in the bottom of the economy because we want, I want you and your family to go to Boston to start a church. And so we said, okay, God, yeah, sounds good. And then we tried to tweak his plans a little bit. We said, how about Worcester, actually? I actually found a document that said uh, our church plant in Worcester because we could still live in our house and commute the 20 minutes and we'd be, we'd be all right. And then we said, no, we're selling out if we go to Worcester. It's too easy. He's called us to Boston. He said, Boston, we have to go to Boston. So we moved into an apartment here in uh, Parkway, Boston on Dent Street. And now I look back and Dent Street was my desert. It's, it's hard to think about that season. never forget the first night the morning I took a nice shower and a brand new shower <laughs> and uh, my wife and I spruced up at a double vanity <laughs> looking good that night we move into this apartment I'm in my shower cooling down getting all the sweat off of me from a, a move and I'm looking at tiles 
which is mold in the ground. I was like, wow, this morning was a beautiful shower. Now it's a moldy shower. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, my wife's already asleep in the bed over there in a room that's about the fifth the size of our room we just came out of. What have I done to my family? It's painful. We used to joke because I could fall asleep within literally like 20 seconds. And so I had no idea what it was like to stay awake after my wife. And I started to experience sleepless nights for the first time in my life. And she would be asleep, and I would say, oh my gosh, she fell asleep before me. And it got so bad that I would wake up in the middle of the night and just pace the hallways and just pray. Short hallway. (laughs) But I would pray and pace that little hallway. Just praying, God, where are you? You told us to do this. At the time, not really clinging. I wish I had discovered what I discovered this week. Just clinging to 13 years of a vision that David had, of a call that David had. And so, we pressed on. I remember when God called us, said, sell your house, you're going to do this. We said, okay, God, we're reading the scriptures. It's a team model, Acts chapter 16. So let's, we'll go, you build a team. So we started having, without any recruiting, people coming to us and saying, we want to go, we want to go. We're with you, we're moving. People's houses started to go on the market. Our house sold, we moved, we started the church, waiting for their houses to sell. They would commute an hour to help us, to serve with us. And then after a year, their houses didn't sell. Felt like God pulled a bait and switch. Here you are. You're here. And they're gone. And if I can try to make light of this, I'm going to try really hard. Um, I was singing Whitney Houston all by myself, you know? (laughs) We need some humor badly right now. So, man, we were alone. These folks are still some of our best friends in the planet. They were just over a couple weekends ago for a birthday party, but they were gone. And we were alone. And it was hard. Fruit was slow. God, you told us to plant, but I don't even know if a seed is hitting the ground. I feel like we're rolling boulders around in this garden of Boston all by ourselves. And then I had a mentor of mine who I deeply admired, deeply admired, cared for, pushed us out into Boston and said, let's do this. After about a year, tried to hire me. And said, yeah, maybe this isn't what God wants for you. When he should have been encouraging. And I will never do that. Question the call of God on somebody's life. First time in my life I started to wonder if I could provide for my family. We made some money off of the sale of our house, which is an absolute miracle. We burned through it all in the first few years because of the cost of living in an apartment that cost more than our mortgage. 
It's just kind of ridiculous. Now I understand why people leave. Another reason why the city is hard. I started to wonder if my kids would ever have Christian friends. Are they going to wander? They're not going to walk with God because they don't have any Christian friends. Sunk into a depression. Felt like I couldn't tell anybody but my wife. But then I realized that was kind of bad too. Because if the buck stops with me, then it actually kind of stops with her. And so she was carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. And it hurt. So I held it in. Mondays still are our off days. And so we would leave Sunday after church. And we would not come back till Monday night as late as possible, like 9, 30, 10, just to stretch it out, to deny the reality of the pain that we were feeling. I started having some physical things happening. My jaw would hurt all day long because I was just grinding my teeth at night. I had this constant twitch in my eye. And I just kept seeking the Lord, God, I know, I know your call. I know what you've called us to do. And then fruit came, and he started to move. And praise God, we've seen 85 people come to know the Lord. 84 of them have moved out of the city. (laughs) (laughs) But then I started being stupid and started being Elijah. And the pain started to outweigh the victories. And started focusing on the lies that I was believing. You're not good enough. You can't do this. This is impossible for you. And so there, were, there was fruit, like a victory here. The pain would be even greater, be even more, more difficult. And listen, getting out of the circumstances is never the answer. So often we want to get out of our circumstance. Now, I, I never, I honestly never thought about quitting. Can't say that for my wife, but <laughs> just to be honest, she's amazing. But I, I never once thought about quitting, honestly. But for some of us, that's where we're at. We want to quit. We want to be done. We want to throw our hands up in the air. Maybe wave them like I just don't care. We just, we just want to be done. But getting out of the circumstance is not going to do it for you. I'll say it this way. The goal is not to try to get out of the wilderness, but to get out of the wilderness. I want to get everything that I can get, receive from God out of this challenging time in my life. That's what you need to do. God wants you to, to squeeze this lemon and receive every ounce of what he wants to give you and teach you and do in you in this season. Stop trying to get out of it. Get out of it. Receive out of it. God is working in your life. And honestly, don't worry about me. I'm on the other side. Not to say that we won't go through wildernesses again. We feel great. We're so encouraged. We love you deeply, and we are so thankful for what God has done in our midst. And I apologize for crying on you. 
But let me tell you something. I can look back and say, God is faithful. God is so good. He is so good. He has strengthened me in these weak moments of just having that weight come upon me. And the temptation is to step out from underneath it, James says. But if you remain under it and you keep squatting that weight, you get stronger. You get, you get stronger. And he's deep in my prayer life. He's deep in my love for the city. He's deep in my, my love for my wife, who just was so amazing. He's deep in my love for him. He's provided us with a house that we never, I mean, just absolute miracle that we have a house we never thought we'd own again. Seeing people come to Jesus. Revelation, as you look in the wilderness, people come out of the wilderness with, with revelation. Now, I'm not going to be that preacher who's got a word from God. I've got the word from God. But he's, he's revealed it to me in new and fresh ways. It's amazing. I see it in a different way now. I feel it differently now. And God wants that for you. He wants you to get out of the wilderness. And so for the next seven weeks or so, we're just going to keep walking through the wilderness together, walking through some of these biblical wilderness experiences and, and seeing what we can learn, what we can receive, how we can press on in the midst of the wilderness, how we can encourage other people in the wilderness. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about trial. We're going to talk about heartache. We're going to talk about the lies of the enemy. We're just going to keep talking and working through because I know that God has something for us. I know it. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for stories of how you move, how you're faithful. God, we just pray that you would help us to, to walk with you and to say, God, I seek you. You are my God. And to be honest and say, God, sometimes I feel like you're not here. And as we feel that and as we experience that, God, I pray that you would, God, would you just show yourself present, by coming alongside of people through your word, by, by causing each of us to open up our mouths and encourage and say the thoughts that we're thinking but we don't share, the, the thoughts of affirmation and love and care, to pray when people need prayed for, to be a family that doesn't allow anybody to walk alone. And Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. That we can know you were tempted in every way, yet without sin. That you walked that wilderness for 40 days. And God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus in a very personal way. And they don't know that Jesus knows them in a very personal way because he's been there. He's felt it all that they feel. I pray that they would put faith in him.
trusting in your amazing grace that you would die in our place. Thank you, Lord. God, as we respond to your word, I pray that you would stir us. You would cause us to to step out in faith, to trust you. Some for the first time, trusting what Jesus has done. Others, just, just again, not that you've let go of them, but that they would just declare to you, I trust you, God. It's hard, but you're good. And I can know it. Lord, do what you want to do in us. And we know that we're never alone. And we know it. And we feel it. And we leave confident in that. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.